Well, welcome everyone home. Welcome to V1 Church. Those that are watching online, uh, it's just an exciting time here at V1 Church. I, I believe it. Uh, in case you don't know me, because usually I am in our Brooklyn location. Anybody from Brooklyn here? All right, one person. That's all right. We're all over the place. <laughs> but my name is Pastor Eddie. I'm one of the pastors uh, here, also a professor and a dean for our V1 College. And I'm excited about, which, by the way, registration is open. Shameless plug. But I'm excited to, to bring the word, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to bring the word here today. It's not going to be my words. It's going to be God's words. I, I truly believe it. Uh, but before we do anything, I want to just give honor to our lead pastor because we don't take this for granted. We don't take this for granted. This, this place that he has created here for V1, it's, be, it's like a holy habitation. It's like, it's like something, it's like a gem that's so precious. And it's just giving birth and it's, and it's doing something new in our communities. And we're embarking on something like never before. Yeah, we may be still dysfunctional. That's okay. We got, we got some dysfunctional people here. I'm dysfunctional. That's all right. But we love each other through the process. And that's all right. So thank you, Pastor Mike and Pastor Julie, for you saying yes to coming out here into where churches die, where church planting is almost non-existent. And I can say that because I was born and raised in New York, and, I, and I've seen it. So, uh, But I'm so grateful for each and every one of you here today. Um, if you know me, you know you should have a notebook, but I'm not going to say much more about that. Uh, but uh, I, I want to teach you some things, and I believe that at the end, uh, you're going to be, uh, you're going to understand what it means to learn to live in the new. That's today's message, learning to live in the new. But before we do anything, I want to go back to the old. Is that okay? Can I do that? Can I want to just go back to the old because... Uh, there was an ancient practice of reading scripture that when it was read out loud, everyone stood up. And I want to go back to that time because we have to be representations and models of this good work to God because we have to reverence this word above all. And it seems that society and culture has forgotten that. But at V1 Church, we put this as the highest priority. So we're going to go back because during the time of Ezra and during the time of Jesus, they stood up when the word was spoken. So can we all just stand up? And we're going to go back to the old. Is that okay? Can we do that? All right. And for those that are watching online, I can't tell, but I'm just going to have faith that you're standing. <laughs> so if you can turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be reading for verses 1 to 17. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. And this is what the word of God says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden. Say hidden. With Christ in God, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death. Say put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Say, put them away. 
anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, hello, seeing that you have put off the old self, say the old self, with its practices, and you have put on the new self, say new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive and above all these, Put on, say put on. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you have you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Come on, let's give it up for God's word. You may be seated. I'm not going to make you stand the whole time. That's just for the scripture portion. But that's what they did in the old times. And I want you to understand this as we've read that, that you cannot learn to live in your new until you understand your old. You cannot learn to live in your new until you understand your old. So today what we're going to do is we are going to debunk the myth of the new. That's right, you heard me say it. We're going to debunk the myth of the new. Because now we become so fixated on things of the new. Whenever you go into a Barnes and Nobles, if people still go into Barnes and Nobles or you go into a bookstore, what's the first thing they buy? They buy a book that says, New Year, New Me. <laughs> when you hear believers say, uh, don't worry about it, you're going into a new season. You're going into a new season, believer, don't worry about it. But what if I told you that your new season isn't new, but is just a better understanding of your old one? Because what you see as new is not new to God. God has a plan for you. God has a destiny for you. And in order for you to live in this new, we got to begin to understand our old. We need to understand our past. You need to understand where you've been. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through a history lesson. How many of you guys love history out there? All right, two people. That's all right. Right, we're going to look back at redemptive history in the Old Testament, and chronologically, we're going to trace back our lineage in the Old Testament, okay? So, this idea of the new, when we're talking about new in the Old Testament, it carries with it expectation. It's an expectation. Why? Because when the prophets of old and, and Israel, they were always expecting God to do something. They were always expecting God. It, it happened right in the beginning in Genesis. Genesis 3.15. When God spoke a new word of redemption that says that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. That was an expectation of Christ coming. 
Isaiah 2.4 reminds us that there will be a time where nations will no longer war against nations. They expected that to happen. Isaiah 2.4, Isaiah also tells us that the lion will lay down with the lamb. An expectation. The Psalms express that we're going to sing a new song. The prophet Jeremiah tells us that God will make a new covenant with his people. Ezekiel 11.19 says that a new spirit I will give them. And even the prophet Joel says, I want to pour out my spirit on what? On all flesh. It was an expectation. And because of this expectation of what is new, we don't have to live according to our old names anymore. Isaiah 62.2. You're probably saying, Pastor Eddie, why are you giving me so much scripture? Because it's not me preaching here today. It's this right here. And I'm not going to apologize for this. Isaiah 62.2 says, And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give you. You know, I believe that here today. Some of us, you're still carrying your old names of the past. You're still carrying those old names of shame. You're still carrying those old names of addiction. Names that your parents gave you and say, well, you're stupid. You're not going to amount to anything. But I believe today that those old names are going to be broken and those curses are going to be broken in Jesus' name. Because when you function in your old name, you live faithless in your new. When you function in your old name, you live faithless in your new because you carry that old name. So when people see you, they don't see something new. They just see something old. Because it doesn't look new to them. You can't come to God expecting when you haven't taken time to know where you've been. And some of us, these names are just hinging on us. You could see it. It's like, a, it's like a chain dangling around our neck. Old names of shame. Old names of anxiety. Old names of religiousness. Old names of tradition. Old names of suicide. Do I have to keep going? Old names of addiction. Old names of alcoholism. Old names, old names, old names. And God is saying, I'm giving you a new name. That nobody can take away. It's a new name that's written in the book of life. But again, when we read Isaiah in chapter 43, 19, he says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. And look what Isaiah says. He says, do you not perceive it? Don't you see it? Because sometimes it's hard for us to see it. We don't believe that God's coming through because it's, it's not coming through the way that we expect it to come through. And our expectation is different than God's expectation. So it's a different alignment. And it says, I will make a way in the, in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I'm going to make the impossible possible. But sometimes as Christians, we want it so cookie cutter. And some kind of Christians, well, God, do it for me like this, A, B, C, and D. But God's saying, I'm going to give you A, but I'm going to skip to Z. And you're going to see what I could do. When we look at the word here, it's the Hebrew word hadash. You're going to learn some Hebrew today. Is that okay? It's the Hebrew word hadash, and it means fresh. 
It means this freshness that comes. And the prophets of the old, they anticipated this new covenant that was about to come, that God will establish his people. So that's the old. Now, when you look at Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 32, this was another expectation. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a what? A new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And it's not going to be like the covenant of old that I made with their fathers on the day when I looked them and I took them by the hand and to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Can I just say something here? That some of us, we're still holding on to daddy's hand when we got to start letting go. You see, the, we'll, we always look at the miracle that happened as they parted through the Red Sea as a great miracle. But none of that would have happened if they would have followed God faithfully. And sometimes we get so scared and we begin to have fear because it's like riding a bicycle. You ever ride a bicycle and maybe somebody's holding onto the back of your seat because you're learning for the very first time, right? And you're riding and riding it and you keep looking back to say, hey, make sure you're with me. Don't let go. I got to, <laughs> don't let go. I'm nervous. I'm scared, right? And they're holding on, holding on, holding on. Uh, and then at that moment, they let go. You have no idea. That's where faith comes in right there. But you have no idea. And then as soon as you let go and you go and you go and you fall and you fall and you look back and you say, God, where were you at those moments? Where were you? And then we begin to doubt. Some of us, we're still carrying that. We're still saying, God, I still need you. We're not exercising our faith to the level that we need to exercise it in. Let go and let God. And some of us, we say, well, pastor, I need this. Pastor, I need help. I need you to do this for me. Right? I get the emails. I get the phone calls. I, I know. But I'm saying, how are you going to learn and experience all that God has for you if the pastor is still holding on to your seat? You got to trust the process. You just got to let go sometimes. And you say, I'm going to do it. If I fall, that's okay. I'm falling forward. I'm still getting up. That's all right. But you have to perceive it. That's what it was Isaiah. You have to perceive it. You have to come expecting that what God is going to do is reverse the order of things. He's turning your mourning into dancing. Come on, some of you, you haven't danced a long time. I saw you out there today. Some of you, you haven't danced. You're, doing, you're still doing the two-step when you should be doing a tango. Some of you, you got a left foot when you should be doing some merengue. Don't get me started. I'm still learning salsa too, so I didn't say so. My, my wife's still teaching me, but that's all right. But God's turning your pain into promise, your sorrow into joy, and your curses into a new covenant. Right? You ever heard that term, out with the old, in with the new, right? But here's the reality. God's kingdom never changed. It always was. And what God wants to do is he wants to restore paradise. When you look at the very last chapter of Revelation chapter 22, it says God is going to restore Eden. And I believe that. So now that we look at the New Testament, now uh, the Old Testament, let's look at the New Testament now. Because now with the Old Testament, we looked at expectation. With the New Testament now, we're going to look at the experience. 
There was a Hartford uh, University study that was actually conducted between 1916 and 1950, around there. And it was about 52,000 men that signed up for this. And what they did throughout those years, what they told the men, you have to exercise every single day. And you have to burn about 2,000 calories a day. Some of you are already saying, I can't do that. <laughs> I love food too much. But the conclusion was that the, that the people that exercised actually added more years to their life than the ones who didn't. Now, why do I say that? Because God's new way of living is just that. God's new way doesn't just add years to your life. It adds life to your years. Because when you begin to get in the presence of God, when you get, begin to experience what revival truly means, then you understand who God is. And it adds years to your life. Let's look at some examples, just in case you don't believe me. I know, don't take my word for it, okay? Let's look at scripture. John 11 records the death of Lazarus. How I many of you remember Lazarus, right? Lazarus was in the tomb for four days when Jesus raises him from the dead. Let's look at John eleven thirty eight. 38. It says this. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Say that with me. Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, and, and I like this. This is like sassy Jesus right here. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? I could just picture that. Did I not tell you that you believed that you would see the glory of God? And here's what I want us to understand. That you cannot live in your new until you remove the stone. You can't begin to live in your new until you remove the stone. You're still dead inside that cave. You're still dead inside of your sin. Until you begin to remove the stone, your old ways. What is the stone of your life that right now you need to remove? What is that thing that is causing a barrier and a blockade between you and you understanding the glory of his presence? What is that thing that has just become such a hindrance, like a, like a thorn on your side, but you become so comfortable living with it instead of removing it? You know, the stone back in the Palestine era would have been approximately one to two pounds, uh, two ton tons. That's how big. You needed multiple people to remove that stone. Now, I say that because sometimes it takes a long time. Deliverance doesn't happen like that. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you need other people to help you to push that stone. But you got to start getting in the process. You got to start naming that stone in your life. And you got to say, God, I need your help to remove this obstacle in my life so that I could see just the back part of your glory. In verse 40, Jesus has to remind Martha, did I not tell you? And this, is a this should be a challenge to our faith. Did I not tell you that I'm going to come through for you? One thing to be observant about here is that there, will be, there would have been crowds that have been forming around this miracle because they always followed uh, Jesus wherever he went. But it would be the disciples that perceived it. The crowd saw it, but it was the disciples that perceived it. And they saw it. 
And what did they perceive? If you go down to John 11, 4, it says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. That's what they perceived. The glory of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So whatever God makes new always leads to life. Anything. But here's the plot twist that maybe some of you don't, we haven't seen this before. But Lazarus didn't get a new body. He didn't. Lazarus didn't get a new body. He just got years added to his old one. He didn't come out with a new body, fresh and clean. Oh, look at me. I got abs now. I got traps. I look good. No. He still worked with his old body. He just understood his old one better. And he said, I'm going to do what I got with this old body, and I'm going to make something new. That's it. Some of us, we're trying to put new things into a new model where God is saying, no, you got to just understand your old one better. You got to go back to, the, to those ways because, and that's why I had us stand up and read scripture. That was an old way of doing things. It's an old way. You want years added to your life, you have to first roll away the stone and exercise your faith. Let's look at another example a few chapters later in John 13, 13 verse 34. Jesus speaking to now the Pharisees and the disciples that were there. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another, verse 35, by this all people. How many people? All people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is uh, the only time in the Gospels where this word new is actually found. Uh, but this commandment isn't new. This is not a new commandment that God was telling his people. God said you are always to love. In Leviticus 19.18, it says that uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And when we look at that word in the Greek, it's called kainos. And that word there means recently made. It means to be unused and unworn. Now, if you know anything about clothing, me personally, I don't know how to dress myself. I, I just don't. I don't do it. I order all my clothing in a box. It comes shipped in a box. I got my personal tailor. It's called Stitch, Stitch Fix, guys. It's not a big deal. Yeah, I don't make that much. Uh, then they, they come in the box, and I open it up, and it's just fresh. And, and it's like, oh, man, this is, this is one of the shirts that's fresh today. This is, this is a fresh shirt I wore it just for you so that you can see. I'm a living example right now. I'm not ashamed. And when I look at, you ever look at shoes and you ever see the shoes? And what do they have if they're new? There's some type of uh, a paper that's inside of the shoes, right? That's when you know that those shoes are new because there's paper in there, right? The laces are done so perfectly, right? That you don't even want to touch the laces because you're like, man, it's, this is too nice. This is too nice. Uh, but some of us as Christians, we're walking around paperless. Some of us were walking around and that paper has gone, that the freshness is not even there anymore, and people can't even distinguish you from the world and from Christ. You got to get that paper back into your shoe. <laughs> Come on. Some of you, you got to get that paper back into, into your shoe because 
That's what you were created for. That's your spiritual identity. That's your lineage. That's your adoption. That's who you are. Now, that word new also describes wineskin. Matthew 9, 17 says this. Neither is new wine put in old wineskin. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into a fresh wineskin and so both are preserved. You see, what's the purpose of this? When wine would go through what's called a fermentation process, it was how it was stored. It would produce a successful outcome. So when wine was put into these containers, these containers were made out of animal skins. And when Jesus here uses the word owed, he's saying that it loses its stretch. It's not stretchable anymore. And sometimes as Christians, we become back going to our old self that God can't use us because we're not stretching our faith enough to reach that level. So stay with me here. If the new wine was put into these old wine skins, what would happen with the process of fermentation is that it would put pressure on it and then it would eventually burst. That's why you need new wine for new wine skins. So what is, what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that your Old Testament ways of doing things and your old practices cannot contain the newness of who I am. The old ways that you used to do things, all the rules and regulations, I'm coming with a new command. I'm coming with a new covenant. I'm coming with a freshness. I'm coming with some new, new kicks. I'm coming with something new that I'm going to bring to you. But some of us, we're trying to do the very opposite where we're putting new wine into our old ways of living, our old ways of sinning. And God is saying it doesn't work like that. You're going to burst eventually. What's that bursting called? Deliverance? What, what's that bursting called? I don't know, vomiting on the floor maybe? Uh, uh, crying? <laughs> They're ready. Our pastors are ready for y'all. Those online, get ready to go in the Zoom room. It's going down. But now I want to talk, talk about revivals. Because I believe that we and V1 Church is sparking a revival. But I want to tell you about revivals and about wells. That new wells of revival are just old wells that are dug up correctly. New wells of revival are just old wells that are dug up correctly. You know... Back in the day, when you, when you find a, a well, you would have to dig and dig and dig. And sometimes when we're digging, we get frustrated. Sometimes when we're digging, obstacles come in our way, and then we get distracted from what God wants to do. And sometimes there are churches, they want revival, but they don't want to dig hard enough, or they don't have the right tools to dig and to find some fresh water. Well, I don't know about you, but here at V1 Church, what, we, what have we been doing digging. You got to dig, 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 dig some more. Dig until it hurts. Dig until you're tired. Dig until you're frustrated. That's what revival looks like when you dig and then you finally reach the point where you see some water. And what happens? You begin to get excited. There's life now. 
And all the things that we've been doing and all the things that we've been put working here as a church together, we finally see some life happening. I want to tell you about a revival that maybe you're not aware of that happened here in New York City on Fulton Street. And it happened back in 1857. And it started with a man named Jeremiah Lanfer. And this guy was a businessman. He had a high-paying job at that time. And this man attended a church plant that was actually birthed in the Second Great Awakening by none other than Charles Finney. And you see, even right there, the spiritual environment was right. So now you have this guy coming to a church that was birthed out of a revival. And now Jeremiah, he ends up leaving his job and begins to pastor this church with no theological training and no ministry credentials. And just three months in this position, he, he started a noon prayer meeting. He started a noon prayer meeting and started to distribute these flyers. Doesn't that sound familiar, noon prayer here at V1? If you've been with us long enough, you know that our lead pastor started a prayer movement at live at lunch on noon. Oh, man. You guys got to get the correlation here. You got to get the spiritual significance here. I'm trying to take you somewhere. But at noontime, our lead pastor was there praying for people, seeing uh, signs and miracles happen right on the live here. And then this man, as a result, begins this movement. And I want to read. This is actually one of the flyers that was actually he used to distribute. Now, let me just tell you something. We can't distribute flyers like this anymore because people will not be excited about some of this uh, language that's here. But let me just read to you the beginning part of it. It says, how often shall I pray? As often as the language of prayer is in my heart. As often as I see my need of help. As often as I feel the power of temptation. As often as I am made sensible by any spiritual declination or feel the aggression of a worldly spirit. In prayer, we leave the business of time for that of eternity and intercourse with men for intercourse with God. And as a result, in two years of this, just him and five other people, this businessman revival, for two years now, they saw over one million converts come to the church in America. And it started by just a noon prayer. And it reminds me because I remember seeing Pastor Mike and I remember he did it during the springtime. He did it during the winter too, which is crazy because <laughs> to be out there in snow and all that, but he still did it. But I remember watching him doing this in the springtime. And if you know anything about springtime, you know that things come back to life. You guys catching that? Things begin to come back to life. And he birthed it with prayer. And he birthed it with a need to say, I want to bring these things back to life. When you look at scripture, in the springtime, it said that kings went out to war. And I believe that here we're entering into a springtime season at V1. And as Christians, we got to stop thinking so linear. We think so linear at times that God has to prosper me. God has to do this. No, you just need to remain generous. God doesn't have to do it. You just have to remain faithful to him in your new self. 
I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with three ways to live in the new. Three ways that you can live in the new. Here's the first one. Living in the new means dying to the old. In order to live in the new, you got to die to the old. And we looked at Colossians chapter 3, and I'm not going to read it again, but what did it say there? It said, put to death. Put to death. Put them all away. The anger, the wrath, the malice, the slander, the obscene talk from your mouth. Put it away. Put off the old self. Some of us are like the dog that returns to his vomit. And we go back to our old selves. And it says a dog that returns to a vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. So you got to die to some things. What is that thing here today? And maybe you that are watching uh, online, what is that thing that is causing you not to live again? Here's the second thing. Living in the new means putting some things on. Now that you killed some things, you got to put it on now. In verse 12, it says, put on then kindness, humility, meekness, patience. But it also says this, put on love. If you don't have love, you're just making a whole bunch of noise. And recently there was a, a video that I watched about the co-founder of a South African Satanist movement. And I watched it. Maybe some of you have seen that video. And this is the co-founder of a satanic movement in South Africa, leading hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people. And he had this vision and he had this dream. And in this vision and a dream, he saw somebody just hugging him. That's, that's all it was. And he said that that hug felt like love like never before. It was a love that was put on him that he never felt before, that he tried to find in other means. And he put, and he felt that, that so much that he began to weep and cry. And this co-founder of this satanic movement gave his life to Christ and is now living. And he's telling all of his brothers that are in this movement to say, hey, this is not real love. This is not real love that you're following because the love that God gives never fails. That's the love of the Father. And some of you, maybe you've been hurt by your natural fathers. You've been hurt by your mothers. You've been hurt by those closest to you. I'm here to remind you, put on love. Put on the Father's love. And here's the last thing. Living in the new means walking with an attitude of thanks. And in verse 16, we read, everything is done with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, you always give thanks. Always. Sometimes it's hard as Christians to give thanks. There was a prominent theologian that was named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he was arrested by the Nazi regime. And... But he loved God so much as a pastor, and he would do these radical things, kind of like what we're doing right now. And he was literally about to be put to death. And during that time, he actually converted all the soldiers of, uh, in the Nazi camp. And he actually had Bible studies in the Nazi camp. And he knew that he was going to die. 
And, but he said this. He says, it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. It is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. I'm thankful even in my state right now, even in my prison cell, even where I am, I'm still giving God thanks. I don't know about what tomorrow's gonna hold, but I know who holds tomorrow. And I believe in this word so much. You know, the old ways of living will promise you exactly what your flesh wants. But the new way of living will promise you death that leads to eternity. The old ways of living says that you cannot live anywhere. You can live anywhere you want. Like Burger King, you can have it your way. It doesn't matter. Live anywhere you want. But the new ways of living says that you are to live in the holiness through the hardship. The old ways of living raised you in the confusion of your identity. But the new ways of living raised you in Christ and gave you a new name. See, you cannot learn to live in your new until you understand your old. But here's the thing, church. Once you understand your old and where you've been, you know where you're going. You know where you're going. Can you stand with me here today? Because I believe a lot of old names are going to be broken off here today. I believe there are some here and maybe those that are watching online that you've been carrying an old name for way too long. And God wants to free you from that old name. God wants to deliver you and set you free from that old name. You don't have to carry the shame of your past anymore. You don't have to carry the addiction into the next season of your life. You came here with an old name today. You're going to leave out here with a new one. Proverbs 22 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And some of us, we've been choosing the riches over our good name. But I don't know about you, but I want a name that nobody could blot out from the book of life. That's the name that I'm more concerned with. And some of you, maybe you're saying, well, Pastor Eddie, I don't know what that even means. Let me tell you what the true gospel is. The true gospel is a name that God wants to give you. The true gospel is a gospel that you have to come and die to yourself, to your old self, so that you can live in your new. The true gospel is Jesus dying on the cross and three days resurrected for you. The tomb and the stone has been rolled away. And just like Jesus calling out to Lazarus, I believe right now God prophetically is calling you out. Come out, Ashley. Come out, Brittany. Come out, David. Come out, John. Come out. Come out. You don't have to stay in the tomb anymore. You don't have to stay in the tomb anymore. 
you don't have to remain isolated anymore because isolation will leave, lead into destruction. But God is causing you to come out. And that's all right if you stink and it's been four days. That's all right. We'll work with you. We'll work with you. But we're going to love you enough. But here's the reality. In order for that to happen, you got to keep it real with yourself and God. That's a New York term. You got to keep it real with yourself and God and say, I haven't been living the way that I should. I've been carrying this old name and this old burden for way too long. If I could have our, our pastors and our prayer team here, I believe this is going to be a moment for you. And for those that are watching online, if you're bold enough, and I dare you, if you are bold enough to call out those old things in the comment section right now. Yes, I'm talking to you. Call out those things that you know you need to let go of. Call out those old names that the world and society have put a stigma on you. But I'm telling you right now that there's going to be healing and breakthrough at those moments right now. Because you're not just making a confession. Confession doesn't lead to revival. Repentance leads to revival. Repentance, a turning away, and God wants to revive those things in your life like never before. Dry bones, come alive. 